engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. It is nine after the hour. Um... I'm guessing the deportation bus broke down on the way to the polls for Michael Williams supporters. My goodness, didn't even get 5% in the, the final overnight tally. I, I, I would have expected at least 5 or 6 but wow. Uh, nonetheless, we'll break down those results. First of all, there are some isolated but strong thunderstorms north of the city going up 575 all the way from Woodstock to Nelson. You've got strong storms, and the Ackworth area is going to be hit with a strong storm here in just a little bit. So... Uh, if you're in those areas, keep your headlights on. There is lightning in these storms. Now, we got to get into these races. I, I got to say, um, two big surprises for me last night. One was the Secretary of State's race where... Uh, the perceived frontrunner, Josh McCoon, uh, didn't make it into the runoff. Um, two Metro Atlanta guys made it into the runoff, uh, Brad Raffensperger and David Belisle. One's a state rep, that's Raffensperger. The other, Belisle, the mayor of Alpharetta. Um, the other one is the insurance commissioner, Jim Beck, who, who I very much did not support. Uh, Ralph Hudgens, the insurance commissioner, uh, very adamantly against him. He swept the field 59.68%. Uh, a very strong campaign for him and a lot of yard signs. You know, one of the things, this campaign, Florence, for example, his campaign told me they didn't spend any money on yard signs. And I typically tell candidates yard signs don't matter. But when you take Raffensperger, whose campaign actually upped the budget and spread signs everywhere, and Beck, who also had signs all over the place, larger signs typically, those low name ID, low recognition races, those yard signs actually can matter. And these races really do prove it. Um, nobody was paying attention to these bottom races. And so people went with signs they saw and said, oh, I recognize that name. Uh, you can't say uh, that it was well in Beck's case, for example, he, he was at the top because his name started with a B because Raffensperger wasn't. Um, that may get you a couple of points in an election, being at the top or the bottom of, of any contest, but it doesn't get you that much. In Beck's case, almost 60% of the vote. Um, that goes to campaign, and he ran a very good campaign, uh, Jim Beck did, uh, as did Brad Raffensperger, who completely sailed under the radar, but boosting his name ID with signs. Um, the other surprise for me, Lieutenant Governor, how close... Uh, David Schaefer came to getting out of it without a runoff, 48.92% of the vote with 100% canceled, or 100% counted. 100% counted. And then, of course, there is the governor's race. Michael Williams, 4.87%. I want to say something real quick here, and then I'm going to move on from it and be done with it. Williams is a very good guy, and he ran a terrible campaign. He had a very impressive record, and he didn't run on it. Uh, when you go to campaign management school, uh, they typically, when you go to candidate school even, the Leadership Institute up in Washington is one of the great places to go if you ever want to learn how to run campaigns or, or be a candidate yourself, the Leadership Institute in Washington. And one of the things that they tell you is you've got to understand the difference between strategy and tactics. Your overall strategy is where you want to go, and, and your tactics is what you deploy along the way to, to get there. Uh, and Williams' campaign struck me even before the press conference where he was going to expose Casey Cagle and never did. Uh, it was a series of stunts that had no overarching theme other than attention, and that's not a winning strategy. And he's a he's a really good guy, and I just he didn't he didn't do well at all. Um, it, I'm kind of embarrassed for him, particularly after 
the whole deportation bus thing and it breaking down. Now, we never have to speak of it again. Stacey Abrams has the right and the privilege to make a competitive race of this, and we're going to see a lot of money pour in from out of state uh, on her behalf because she does not have the money to spend on an ad campaign. She will be relying on outside interests that cannot coordinate with her campaign to try to make a case for her. We saw a lot of money being spent by these outside groups to help her in the primary. She has every right uh, and will make a show of a campaign. But I think it is, I think it's a disservice to the voters. And I think it's a disservice to her campaign to make it sound anything other than a, a very unlikely bid for governor. People are dancing around the historicity of it. I'm seeing a lot of liberals. I'm seeing a lot of reporters, but I repeat myself online talking about what a historic moment it is and what a good candidate she is. She's a very good candidate. Uh, I'm quoted in the New Yorker saying she was the, I thought one of the most impressive interviews I've done. And I've done a lot of interviews of politicians around the country. And she was one of the very best. Uh, she was humble. She was uh, self-deprecating. She knew the issues. She explained things better. And in some cases I thought on, on the tax issue or, or in that interview, she explained it better than Casey Cagle and they have the same position. Um, I, I think she's a far better candidate than I was willing to give her credit, but her candidacy is not the viable candidacy that a lot of people want to treat it as. And I think there's a lot of patronizing um, angling going on. I agree with a friend of mine who pointed this out that to treat her as a viable campaign is to lie because it's not a super viable campaign in Georgia. Now, Democrats are saying, ooh, 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 look at the turnout, look at the turnout. 50,000 votes more, the GOP. Yes, the GOP in Georgia had 50,000 more votes than the Democrats. In 2014, the GOP had 300,000 more votes than the Democrats. Uh, people in Georgia are only now getting used to having a primary in May. The primaries have always been in July, uh, the third week in July when the 2004 primary was. And what happened in the 2014 primary? You had uh, Jack Kingston versus Karen Handel versus David Perdue running for the United States Senate. It was a hard-fought race with a lot of money, and this campaign strategy of those three candidates was not just to mobilize their base, but to try to convince undecided voters to go for them. In the governor's race this year on the Republican side, the major candidates, particularly Cagle and Kemp, both made a very conscious decision not to mobilize undecided voters. They made a very conscious decision to actually go out, find their voters, and get their voters motivated to go to the polls. And at the end, use negative ads to try to suppress the turnout for people like Hunter Hill and Clay Tippins. It was not a mobilization of undecided voters like it was in 2014. It was a suppressing of the undecided voters. Those undecided voters, if they stayed home, will come out in July, as they always have done for this race. Uh, that's why the Republican turnout was down. It was not that the Democratic turnout was, was record-breaking excess. It was that the Republicans 
were down. And remember, in 2014, you had Michelle Nunn and Jason Carter. They were all but coronated by the Democrats. There wasn't heavy contests for either of them and the Democratic Party in 2014, while the Republicans did. Many, many, many Republicans stayed home yesterday because there were too many candidates for all of the races. They were absolutely undecided, and they just decided they will wait until July when the rest of the voters have narrowed the field for them. Then they'll go make up their mind. Uh, Democrats who are hanging their hat on this 50,000 vote gap, uh, first of all, it's still a Republican majority. And two, uh, this is not an apples to, or apples to apples comparison with 2014. There are very real reasons why the Republican vote was low and very real reasons why the Democratic vote was higher than 2014 based on the elections today. And out-of-state political analysts have largely ignored all of this so that they can herald some Democratic wave that's coming. But it looks, if you look into the data, like the Republicans are going to flush that blue wave down the toilet like that blue toilet bowl cleaner. It is 26 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Just saw someone put up on Twitter. Uh, I'm renaming my AR-15s MS-13s so the Democrats will protect them. <laughs> Ouch. Um, you know, one of the groups that had a, a, a bad night last night was the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, my buddy Sam Thomas went over and helped him this past Friday. He was not able to, to beat Tommy Benton, uh, but he did a good job with his race. Um, eh, but Ken Pullen down in Upson County was able to beat uh, Johnny Caldwell down there. That'll be an improvement to that seat. And uh, the Chamber of Commerce going after people like David Stovers and Matt Gertler and Sher Gilligan and others, they, they lost. The only one that they were able to beat was Jason Spencer, who's all the way down in South Georgia along the Florida line. And it was local issues there that really did him in. It had nothing to do with Chamber of Commerce attacks. Um, all of these other races, uh, the, the Chamber failed uh, to, to pick them off. And what's going to happen, I think, is that you're now going to see these conservatives in the state house of the state Senate, Marty Harbin, another one who they lost to, um, you're probably going to see them get organized in a way they've never been before because of the antagonism from the chamber, speaker Ralston and the governor governor deal was actually a pretty big loser last night, uh, up in Northeast Georgia, governor deal went to campaign against the sitting state representative, Matt Gertler. Uh, he and, and speaker Ralston had tried repeatedly to punish Gertler and to punish his district for supporting Gertler, denying his district things that the district otherwise was entitled to, trying to get them to throw Gertler out of office. Uh, they went up there. They did a fundraiser for the guy running against him. They had handpicked that guy. The chamber went in for that guy, and they lost. Gertler got 60% of the vote, uh, more than 60% of the vote, I think. Uh, same in Forsyth County with Sherry Gilligan. Uh, they did everything they could uh, to elect Joanna Cloud. The chamber ran ads for her. They attacked Sherry Gilligan relentlessly. Uh, all the developers helped fund the campaign. You had members of the state house uh, give money to uh, Joanna Cloud at the last minute, and they got beat by Sherry Gilligan. And Greg Dozol as well beat the developers up there. In fact, it was a three-way race for the Senate seat to replace Michael Williams' seat. Greg Dozol was able to win without a runoff in a three-way race. Um, the conservatives really held their own last night, and we should be real grateful for that. It was a good night for conservatives, a bad night for the chamber or the governor or the speaker.
Oh, good music. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. 39 after the hour. The phone number 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. Let's talk about Brian Kemp, Casey Cagle, and let's also talk about the uh, Clay Tippins-Hunter Hill situation first. Um, It is safe to say that Clay Tippins served as a bit of a spoiler to Hunter Hill. Um, now there are some people who want to peddle the theory that yes, this was all intentional. Uh, I, I don't think it was, uh, I really don't, but I do think that's what happened. Uh, and the reason I say that is because, um, if you take the Clay Tippins vote and divide it in half, uh, and that's to say half would go to to someone else and have to go to Hunter. And I actually think it would be more than that. Um, But that gets Hunter Hill to 24%. And Brian Kemp's percentage was 25.56%. And I actually think you could probably go a little higher on the Clay Tippins because most of Clay Tippins' support was in the the Buckhead uh, area of Fulton County. That's Hunter Hill's base area. And I think they probably would have gone to Hunter Hill. It wouldn't have been a 100% swap for sure, but a 60-40 swap, maybe that that would have gotten Hunter Hill into second place. Uh, and he would be going into the runoff against Casey Cagle, not Brian Kemp. Uh, and it is very clear that the Cagle camp uh, really wants Kemp in the runoff. Now, last night in the speeches, Kemp really threw the first punch at Casey Cagle uh, in Kemp's speech. And it's going to be a consistent theme. Neither of these men is afraid to go negative against the other. Um, the Kegel camp, I suspect, is the one behind the campaign already about uh, people getting text messages with their name saying that Brian Kemp gave their social security number away. Not actually true there, um, but nonetheless, uh, that's happening. This is going to be, I think, a brutal nine-week runoff. What I think is interesting, though, more or less, is that there are people who had were real partisans by candidate. There really were people who loved Hunter Hill and loved Brian Kipp, loved Clay Tippins. Uh, even, even there were 29,000 people across Georgia who loved Michael Williams. And I suspect those 29,000 were more ardently loyal than some of the others for these other candidates. And by and large, they'll all gravitate to whoever wins the runoff. Now, Casey Cagle's percentage, when it was all said and done, was pretty much 39% on the nose. In fact, Secretary of State's office right now has it 39.00% to Brian Kemp's 25.56%. A lot of people will look at this and say, Casey Cagle didn't break 40%. That's bad for him. You know, plus or minus a percentage or two from 40, I actually think it was good for Cagle. Uh, he got he came close to winning. Uh, give him 11 more percent and he wins. Uh, that is less than Clay Tippins vote or Kemp or Hunter Hill. Um, he's not far from getting 50% of the vote. The question, though, is how much of the vote for Hill, Kemp, Tippins, and Williams is anybody but Casey, ABC? Because I heard that a lot from listeners, ABC, anybody but Cagle. 
Uh, and if that is, and you also had the undecided voters who show up in July who didn't show up in the first go-round, um, Cagle has a problem. Uh, he, he does have a problem if that's the case. Uh, is there a lot of antipathy for him? Uh, and I don't necessarily know that that's the case, uh, but, you know, the Kemp people are already pointing to Karen Handel in 2014 that she came in first and then lost the runoff, or in 2006, rather, came, when was it? Uh, man, I can't even, I can't even process this at this moment. I'm tired. 2010. She came in first against Nathan Deal and then lost uh, in the runoff. And it's possible that that happens here. Uh, with Cagle. I don't know. By the way, I, I don't know that there were a, a ton of surprises in the um, in the congressional races. Uh, Lucy McBath and Kevin Abel will go into a runoff on the Democratic side uh, to see who goes against Karen Handel. And then David Kim and Carolyn Bordeaux will go into a runoff to see who uh, goes against Rob Woodall in the 7th Gwinnett County area. Um other than that, there weren't any surprises. I, I was actually surprised that that a group of people decided to run against uh, Jody Heiss. Uh, Brad Griffin and Joe Hunt, I have no idea why uh, either one of them, neither of them got more than 10%, uh, wanted to run against Jody Heiss, uh, who held his own strong. He's going to have a Democratic opponent, uh, Tabitha Johnson-Green, who's not going to win the 10th Congressional District. I mean, just for comparison, in the 10th Congressional District, to give you an idea, uh, there were 54,425 votes cast in the 10th Congressional District for the Republicans, only 33,838 for the Democrats. Um, not a really good run for the money there. Uh, but you look at that, and then you think Barry Loudermilk's going to have an appointment. Flynn Brody Jr., there were 43,268 Republicans who went for Barry Loudermilk, only 21,575 for uh, Brody. There's your, your baseline. Um, I, you're not going to have a, a – these aren't competitive races for the Democrats. What amazes me, though, more than anything in the races and how they shaped up was how the Democrats are – the media is shaping these – as if they're competitive races. They're not competitive races, folks. They're not competitive races, uh, these congressional races. I don't even think the governor's race is going to be highly competitive. We will see uh, some advertising in July and August that will freak out Republicans because they'll, they'll be polling that suggests it's working and that Stacey Abrams is competitive. But we've seen that every time. And I don't think this time is going to be any different from the others where that really wasn't the case. The Republican Governors Association is already out with an attack on Stacey Abrams. As we go to commercial break, listen to this. Meet Stacey Abrams. She wants to be president, only using Georgia as a stepping stone. Wants higher taxes on working families, but can't pay her own taxes. Stacey Abrams, out for herself, not Georgia. Paid for by RGA Georgia 2018 PAC. We're going to hear a lot of that. It is 55 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. I finally, I finally, 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 finally want to do what I wanted to do last night to to highlight a national issue for you. Uh, you can, there's a great local issue to highlight the larger national election picture. 
And that is the questions that the Democrats put on their ballot for Democratic voters. You know, both parties in Georgia have the right to ask their voters questions. The Republicans, for example, have done this in the past on uh, casino gambling in Georgia, overwhelmingly rejected by the Republican base, only to then see Republican legislators ignore the vote and run with it. I mean, these questions are non-binding. They just want, it's essentially the most accurate public opinion poll you can do because your actual voters in your party, the ones who actually show up, are the ones answering it. And the Democrats ask some questions that give you a sense of the lay of the land and where they're headed in 2018 with Stacey Abrams and nationally as a party. I want to walk through those questions with you because it really does expose the problem that Democrats are going to have in 2018 as they run. Uh, I'm seeing national political pundits who are experts in uh, data analysis for congressional races start wondering if Democrats will actually take the House. Now, the odds are still in their favor just historically, um, but the Democrats are doing their best to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, and I want to use these questions to explain why. Good gracious. So this just happened. Um, A jury in Atlanta has awarded a one billion with a B one billion dollar verdict to a 20 year old um, lady named Hope Cheston who had been raped by a security guard at an apartment complex. The judge had already determined the security company was liable uh, because they had hired the security guard who at the time was 22 and wasn't actually licensed to be a security guard. Uh, he, The girl was at the time 14 years old and uh, he approached her and her boyfriend back in 2012 armed, uh, told the boyfriend not to move, and then... Um, raped the young lady who wants her name used by the way um that's why i mentioned it she she asked the media to use her name to to raise awareness of uh what can happen and uh, that people need to stand up and fight back and so the jury has awarded uh this 20 year old she's now 20 uh, awarded her a billion dollars one billion dollars now the case is going to be appealed, obviously. The, the company are, is out of business. She'll never actually get a billion dollars. The company's out of business. Um, but it'll be appealed, and you can bet the Court of Appeals will reduce it. The jury wanted to send a message. And the reason is because there's some Supreme Court precedent that you actually have to look at other similar verdicts out there and see what were reward, awarded based on similar facts and circumstances. And um, uh, there's never been a billion-dollar Uh, award so for something like this so it'll be reduced but uh, the company's been shut down and good for her for winning and good for the jury for sending a message uh, even if it's not going to be something to be collected on now I want to talk about there is other news besides the Georgia elections but this is deeply relevant to a lot of the other news out there and that is 
the Democratic Party's leftward drift. Jim Galloway was on with me last night in the 9 o'clock hour, and we were talking about the coming backlash of Trump voters. I believe, Jim believes, and I, I think he's right in this, that one of the reasons we're seeing the president's popularity go up and the generic ballot shift to the Republicans' favor is because the Democrats have so overplayed their hand on all this cultural stuff and, and social stuff from they want to confiscate your guns. They want you to be in a gay marriage. You can't just say, okay, I'm okay with gay marriage now. No, no, you've got to go out and, and find a gay marriage and, and get in on it. You, you've you then got to identify yourself as as being of the other gender. Your, your kids have to do that. we got to shut down all the Christian schools. Uh, you better go make those cakes, you bigots. Uh, on and on and on it goes. The Democratic Party culture war on America and people are getting tired of it even liberals are starting to bristle at these uh, stupid little millennials on college campuses uh, telling people either agree with us or or shut up and die and there is a backlash coming there's a backlash coming because the Democrats refuse to accept the results of the election in November they are convinced Russia stole the election despite any evidence They're, they're fighting the president every step of the way look at the idiot judge in New York who says that the president can't block people on his personal Twitter account. Um, it, it just it's it's infuriating, and a lot of people, conservatives who really they don't even care for the president, they're like, I'm with this guy because these other people are insane and evil. And we're seeing uh, this happen across the country, but in places like Georgia that are still Republican states, despite the Democrats' dreams. You're starting to see even the Democratic Party moving rapidly to the left. Consider these questions on the Democratic Party ballot that they put to Democratic Party voters. Okay, first question. Should the sale and distribution of bump stocks be prohibited in the state of Georgia? Yep, gun control. 76% of Democrats said yes. Now, the surprising thing here is that it wasn't higher because the next question was, should Georgia pull down our federal tax dollars to save rural hospitals and create more than 50,000 jobs by expanding Medicaid? 91% of Democrats agree with that. That is essentially, notice though what the Democratic Party did in Georgia is they didn't say, hey, do you want to expand Obamacare in Georgia? That's what this question is about, but they didn't say that. No, no. She said, pull down our federal tax dollars to save rural hospitals and create more than 50,000 jobs by expanding Medicaid. That's right. We're going to create jobs by expanding government. Um, that's what they wanted. 91% of them agreed with that. Only 76% agreed with banning bump stocks. You would have thought it would be higher. Here's another one. Should Georgia allow voters to elect our own representatives by amending our Constitution to place the power of drawing district lines under the authority of an independent nonpartisan commission, only 75% of them agreed with this. You would have thought it would be much higher. And let's break this one down. Should Georgia allow voters to elect our own representatives? That suggests that we don't actually elect our own representatives now, which we do. It's just one of the, those bat poop crazy conspiracies on the left right now who were just still embittered by Obama being such a bad president that in 2010 they got wiped out of the ballot box. Then there's question four. Should Georgia alleviate traffic congestion, reduce carbon emissions, and better connect communities by investing a substantial amount of existing tax dollars in mass transit? 
Notice they're not saying raise taxes, just should they, where do they want to reallocate it from? Public education? 84.94% agree with that. Alleviate traffic congestion, reduce carbon emissions, and better connect communities. It is like they think trains are magical. Trains are a magical cure-all now. A train will relieve your traffic congestion, will reduce carbon emissions, and will better connect communities if we'll just put trains in and take people's houses away to lay the tracks. Yes, there's how we can better connect communities by tearing down their houses to build train tracks. Yeah, 84%, 84.9% of Democrats agree with that. Now, here's the problem, y'all, is that this is all nonsense. Ban the bump stocks. Expand Obamacare, independent commissions to draw the the district lines for political races, and let's have trains. This is what the Democrats want to run on. Bump stocks, you know what? There are a lot of Republicans who say no, nobody uses them, really, and the NRA won't even allow them to the range. Let's get rid of them, okay? But what this really is, is, is this is they want to begin the conversation on gun control. Gun control, Obamacare mass transit, and nonpartisan commissions to do redistricting. How out of touch are the Democrats in Georgia? This is their benchmark. And you see, we're, we're seeing this all over the nation, y'all. Democrats are just all in on the on confiscation, confiscation of guns. Yeah, now, I realize Chris Cuomo at CNN apparently never hears anyone. It's like he's got tone deafness when anyone talks about confiscating all the guns because he's never heard any Democrat say it, despite a, a former justice of the Supreme Court saying it. Nope, he's never heard of it. But the rest of us have heard the Democrats now repeatedly on record saying they want to round up all the guns. They actually do. And then they want to raise your taxes because of global warming. Again, they want you to have a gay marriage. Um, if you have a heterosexual marriage, you need to become a polygamist and marry someone of your own sex, uh, so so that we we can all we can all be down with gay marriage. And you Christian bigots better go bake those cakes. I mean, on and on and on. These people are completely out to lunch. I mean, and and the American public is having a backlash against them across the nation. With the exception of, of crazy places like California and New York City, people have had enough of this. They're, they are trying to, to undermine the legitimacy of the presidency with this ongoing nonsense about Russia stealing the election. They are forcing their, their views on people of faith. They're trying to actually take your guns. They're now really open about wanting to take your guns. And we're seeing it happen in Georgia. There will be a backlash against the Democrats doing this. And they are so arrogant and so clueless on this, they have no idea. And yet, it's going to happen. It is 26 after the hour. Y'all, I gotta play you some audio. Um, it is good stuff. Uh, the head of um, ICE, uh, the acting deputy commissioner, uh, took after members of Congress today, uh, Democratic members of Congress in particular, for attacking his agency, uh, calling them anti-immigrant. Listen to this. Right, thank you. I yield back. Can I respond to the, the, the speech I was made? Absolutely. First of all, no one on this panel is anti-immigrant. 
we're law enforcement officers to enforce the law that you all enacted. So to sit there and say that we're anti-immigrants is wrong. We are enforcing laws. If you think it's okay to enter this country legally and they shouldn't be arrested, that's just wrong. The laws clearly state and you enter the country legally is a crime. And no one's up here saying all criminal, all illegal aliens are criminals. A certain percentage of them are criminals. They, they commit yet another offense after they're here. I've said many times, I certainly understand the plight of these people, and I feel bad for some of these people. But I have a job to do. I have to enforce law and uphold the oath that I took to enact the laws enacted by you, Congress. Ouch. Yes. Amen and hallelujah. Yes. Uh, this, this, this is, is just fantastic. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it, calling ICE, uh, the Immigration and, and Customs Enforcement Agents, a bunch of racists or anti-immigrant. Tell Congress that. Call, call Congress that. And by the way, who passed these laws? These were, a lot of these immigration laws, they were Democrats. Yes, Democrats passed these laws. Democrats wrote these laws. Democrats did this. It was Democrats who worked with Ronald Reagan in the 1980s on, on the last major reform effort. It was those Democrats who worked with Ronald Reagan who drafted the laws that these guys are enforcing. No, it wasn't George Simi McBush, Hitler, Halliburton, and, and the Republicans in the 2000s. No, it wasn't Republicans while Barack Obama was president. No, it was the Democrats who controlled Congress back in the 1980s. Many of them still around, <clears throat> Nancy Pelosi. They're the ones who structure these laws, and they've been updated over time. But all ICE is doing, Immigration Customs Enforcement, is enforcing those laws. They took an oath to uphold, protect, and defend the Constitution and to enforce the laws of the United States, and that's what they're doing. If they're anti-immigrant, then these Democrats in Congress who wrote the laws they're enforcing are the real people who are anti-immigrant in this country. That was very well said. My goodness, uh, I just flipped over to the Drudge, Drudge Report and the headline picture was Jared gets top security clearance back. And I thought, Yamamoto's got security clearance? What? And then it, it he was wearing a suit, not skinny jeans. So I, I it, but my goodness, that picture up there, Kushner and Yamamoto, they could be like, like cousins. Um, goodness. <laughs> My old producer, Jerry Houston, now with, with Eric Von Hessler. I just uh, had to t- take a second glance at that picture because that's that's not the Jared I know. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious me. Um, I'm tired of talking about the election. I don't know if you people are, um, but I am. I think we've exhausted the election processes. Um, one thing I, I do, I want to emphasize this in all the election coverage. Um we talk about local races here on this program, and we don't always agree on candidates. Um, I got a, lo- a lot of blowback because I was backing uh, Jay Florence uh, against Jim Beck and some of the state house and state senate candidates. Um, all but one of them won, uh, and I we can disagree, but we all tend to come of it from a a conservative point of view. And I really think looking at what the Chamber of Commerce did in these state House and these state Senate races coming after people like Sher Gilligan and David Stover and um, the others out there, 
uh, Matt Gertler, that's the one I was trying to think of, Marty Harbin and others, you're, they're going to see, I think, these people get more organized. I don't know that you guys um, know a, 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 a... you. Well, you know, the law of unintended consequences is what I'm getting at here. That the chamber has a very organized effort, and what a lot of you guys don't realize is that the conservatives in the House and the Senate, they, they have no operating organization helping them. They, they kind of do this on their own. Um, there used to be, back in the day, there was a, a small group of conservatives who had organized, and they went on, they, they got elected to other offices, or they retired, um, got voted out of office. Uh, but now there's just this hodgepodge. It's not like uh, Sherry Gilligan and Marty Harbin and Sam Teasley and um, Wes Cantrell and, and some of these other Scott Turner and Michael Caldwell. And all. It's not like they sit around in a room and plot. They've just got convictions and values and that they, they largely align on that. And they've now been targeted in an organized effort and they have been uh, they pushed back that organized effort. And I can tell you that I've talked to some of them and they're thinking of getting organized now because these guys keep coming after them. And, and I'm happy to help them. This project I'm working on with the scorecard and stuff, I think it will help them. Uh, but these conservatives, we need to have their back because you have the governor, the speaker of the house. You've got even some of the Senate leadership. You've got the chamber of commerce trying to beat conservatives in Georgia because they don't want to pass RIFRA. They want to give your tax dollars to Fortune 500 companies like Amazon to come into the state and take over. They want to do these things, uh, and they're not conservative, and they're not very Republican. There is a real difference between being a big business supporter and being a Republican these days. Because the crony capitalism, picking winners and losers stuff, that is what these um, politicians are doing, and that's why they're trying to defeat conservatives who are calling them out and exposing their level of corruption for trying to pick winners and losers. And the Chamber of Commerce is going to see this blow up in their face. They lost across the board in all these races. They lost. They gave it their best shot, and they lost. And they lost against an unorganized, uncoordinated group that is now going to organize and get coordinated to fight back. And good, the chamber deserves a real beatdown in this. The Chamber of Commerce in Georgia is not the friend of conservatives and not the friend of people who support limited government, and they deserve a really big black eye, and I suspect it's coming, and they'll deserve every bit of it. Uh, they really will for what they tried to do and lost at doing, beating conservatives who don't want your tax dollars used to bribe companies to come into state while telling Christians that they must abandon their core convictions if they want to help with adoptions in the state of Georgia, among other things. It's just aggravating. Let's go to the phones. Bob and Buford, welcome. Hey there, Eric. Thank you for taking my call. I uh, think that your point about uh, a bump stock ban being the first Step towards uh, going down the slippery slope of gun control was well well founded, well taken. The reason why I say that is uh, there are ways that you can rapid fire your Glock without uh, even uh, mechanically changing it or anything. You can bump fire, uh, you know, a pistol, and it doesn't take it doesn't take any genius or uh, mechanical aptitude to do it. When, when they uh, 
ban bump stocks and then that doesn't help the situation, they're going to be looking for something else to do with, with uh, banning firearms. Oh, totally. I mean, this is part of the problem. Thanks, Bob, for the phone call. This is part of the problem is the Democrats, um, they want Republicans to give an inch, and Republicans know this game. You could have legitimate compromise on guns in this country. You really could. You could find common ground among Republicans and Democrats, except Republicans know the moment they find that common ground, the Democrats are going to move the goalposts. They do this on everything. They'll do it in guns. Uh, they they always have. So there, there's no point. The fact that Democrats are going down this road in Georgia, um, Stacey Abrams is backed by groups that have publicly called for the confiscation of guns. Uh, that's going to come back to hurt them in November among voters who actually like the Second Amendment. Majority of Americans, even a majority of millennials, continue to like the Second Amendment. Hey, y'all, by the way, I forgot to mention earlier, uh, 7 o'clock tonight, instead of Mark Aram coming on, Doug Turnbull and Smiling Mark McKay are going to be on, uh, going in-depth on the hands-free law in Georgia, what it means for you. I actually uh, bought the other day a um, one of those little things you can put on your, your air vent so that you can see your phone ahead of you. Um, and there are lots of companies out there that make them, and I've tried them before, and they were such garbage devices. Uh, but there is a company, it's kind of pricey, but there's a company out there called Proclips. This is not an ad. Um, this is just, I discovered this. I was listening to a podcast, and the guy was complaining. He'd gone through all these. They've got a hands-free law coming up in his state, too. And, you know, the laws you can't touch your phone anymore um, in the car. You can't even have it up to your ear uh, in your car, is my knowledge, although Doug and, and Mark will, will disabuse me of that if I'm wrong on that, but um, you, you got to be completely hands-free. And so he found this Proclips company, and I um, I went, they're, every one of their clips are custom-made for your particular vehicle. Uh, it is, let's see, is it, yeah, ProclipUSA.com is the website, and you go put in your vehicle, and they will... You buy a mount then you that's fit for your model car, and then you buy the holder for your size phone. And it, it's great. I like it. Mine even comes with a plug for my iPhone in it. So I highly recommend it. But uh, Doug and Mark are going to be up at the top of the hour, uh, not Mark Era, Mark McKay, to talk about this hands-free driving law and the traffic situation in Georgia and take your phone calls as well. So stick around for that. It is 56 after the hour. Doug Turnbull and Smiley Mark McKay coming up. Tomorrow, I guess we get to get back to regular news. The election's over, the runoff begins, and it's going to get ugly out there in these runoff races.